You are listening to Audio Fanfic Podcast. Blinded by White Light by Dasha K on AO3. Chapter 2 I have a theory, Mulder said, splashing water on his bare foot. Do you want to hear it? They were at the city center park, the largest park in the city several square miles carved out in the middle of the business district. Sarah and the kids were on the other side of the large marble fountain, floating plastic sailboats in the shallow water. Adam and Julia had been stripped naked and were as wet and slick as small seals. Mulder and Dana had removed their own shoes and socks and rolled up their pants and were enjoying the sensation of cool water on bare feet as they ate sandwiches. She lifted a single eyebrow, unable to comment, since she was chewing on a bite of turkey sandwich. She swallowed and said, You seem to have a lot of theories, Mulder. It felt so easy and nice to be simply hanging out at the park, surrounded by trees and grass and families, her daughter cheerfully splashing in the water. The strange events of two nights ago almost seemed as if they hadn't happened. It's kind of a weird theory, Mulder said, crumpling up the paper wrapping from his sandwich. I haven't ever told it to anyone else. Why are you telling me then and not your wife, she thought. But she knew the answer. Sarah didn't want to discuss those things, just like John. Go ahead, she said. What year is it? Mulder asked. She shot him a look of confusion. It's 2004, she said, in a tone that added an unspoken, of course. Are you sure about that? Of course I'm sure, it's what my calendar and computer tell me. Mulder held up his head and gave her a strangely intense look. That's what they say, but bear with me, Dana. We know that the others rescued the survivors. We were held in stasis for a while, treated for the plague, and awakened in stages to find ourselves in the new cities the others had created for us. Dana nodded. This was old news to her. He splashed some more water on his feet. The timeline says that we were in stasis for about three months. What if that's not true? She felt her brow wrinkling. Why wouldn't it be true? She watched as Sarah pulled Julia by her arms through the water and heard her daughter's delighted shrieks of laughter. I don't know. Mulder shook his head as if he too were confused by his own theory. It just seems odd to me that the others have been so good to us and have asked for nothing in return. They saved us, helped us create a semblance of our former world, and gave us self-rule. Their motives have been wholly altruistic, except that they now trade with us and have access to some needed natural resources from Earth. And you doubt their good intentions. Don't you think that if the motives of the others were less than honorable, they would have shown their true faces by now? It's been five years. Mulder chuckled. (laughs) I like the way you challenge me, Dana. She smiled at that. So what does this have to do with the timeline? It's just something I ponder now and again. What if we were in stasis for longer than three months? It could have been as long as a century, even longer for all we know. For what purpose? She took a long sip of her lemonade and turned to look at his grave face. Anything, Mulder said, shrugging. Experiments, collection of genetic material... I've even considered that perhaps there never were the enemies, or a war, or the plague. Maybe the rest of the world was killed or taken by the others. How do we have any way to truly know? No one can remember. A chill passed through Dana as she considered his words, but she shrugged it off. Mulder had been right. It was a strange theory. That's pretty far-fetched, she said. Yeah, I know but that's how my mind works. It's a disturbing idea. It was difficult to imagine that everything she knew to be fact could be utterly false. I didn't mean to frighten you. From all we've seen, the others are the good guys. Like I said, I just get these ideas. I like it, she said, looking at the pale shapes of her feet underwater. It's refreshing to be able to talk about these things and know you don't think I'm insane. You're the one who should think I'm insane. But you don't. You're not insane, she said. 
Mulder lightly touched her hand with his, and she felt something electric shoot up her arm. It was awareness. Sudden realization that the man sitting next to her was an attractive man. He was staring at her with an expression that allowed her to see the sexuality in the man. He was staring at her with an expression that allowed her to see the sexuality in the man. The passion that existed behind the wry humor and oddball ideas. Mulder was looking at her as if she were the only person on the earth at that moment. Don't think that, she told herself, and forced herself to look at his wife on the other end of the fountain, soaked to the knees of her jeans and playing patty cake with the children. He seemed to snap back into comprehension of where they truly were. He swung his legs over the edge of the fountain and began to shake the water off his feet. You brought towels, right? When she and Julia returned home, there was a note from John on her mail serve, asking her to call him at his hotel. She gave Julia a quick bath, read her a story, and left her daughter sleeping in the light of her Buzz the Lizard nightlight. She sat in front of her telescreen and punched the number for John's hotel room into the remote. After a minute, they connected, and the image of her husband wearing his pajamas and sitting at the end of his hotel bed flashed on the screen. He smiled to see her. Hey, babe, I miss you, he said. Me too. I tried to call you twice tonight. Where did you go? She knew he wasn't asking out of suspicion but curiosity. But the question made her feel strange all the same. A playdate. I met a nice couple, Sarah and Mulder, the other day. We took the kids to City Central Park tonight. Aw, I miss her so much. Is she in bed? Dana nodded. Yeah, do you want me to get her up for you? No, let her sleep. Are you still planning on coming back Saturday? Only six days, she told herself. It's not that long. John grimaced and ran his fingers through his brown hair, which was beginning to recede gracefully. That's what I was calling about. The project is really messed up. I've been spending 16-hour days at the site. I don't think I'm going to be able to get back for another two weeks. Two weeks? She tried not to sound too disappointed, but failed. I know, Dana. I feel terrible. I miss you and Julia so much, and I know I'll miss your birthday. Right. She'd entirely forgotten that her birthday was on Sunday. Oh, well, we can celebrate when you get back. He smiled at her, a sweet and guilt-laden little smile. We will, honey. You can count on it. A few minutes later, after some more talk, they said goodbye and disconnected. I forgot to tell him I love him, she thought, as she rose from the couch and began to pick up scattered toys from the floor. But he knows how I feel. She decided that after she cleaned up the living room, she'd send him a mail-serve message, telling him just how she felt. It would strengthen their connection so many miles apart. An hour later... She had just about fallen asleep when she realized she'd forgotten to send the message. The next evening, after she put Julia down for the night, Dana finally got the mail-serve message to John. It was relaxing after spending the day presenting at a seminar on spina bifida to sit back in the comfortable computer chair, shut her eyes, and see only the amber letters on the black background her fingers automatically typing away on the keyboard she couldn't see. She was in the middle of an impassioned paragraph about their honeymoon when a bright yellow page intruded itself on her field of vision. Central Net System User FW Mulder 2411 requests user DK Scully 8732 to Netspace AE 456-AT. Curious, she mused. Mulder has Netscape. She briefly considered finishing her message, but curiosity got the better of her, and she closed the mail serve. It was rare for Dana to fully immerse herself in the net. From time to time, she had to attend a networked conference or meeting, but she didn't particularly enjoy sinking into complete immersion for fun. Many people, including her own husband, enjoyed going into its synthetic world for entertainment, news, and games, but it slightly disturbed her. The world inside the net was somehow too real, and the division between her virtual and real-life selves seemed too blurry for comfort. 
in immersion, if she touched a wood table in a conference room, it felt as solid and smooth under her fingertips as the table in her kitchen. She knew she wasn't really feeling the table when immersed, and that her brain was simply being manipulated by the software into sensing something that wasn't truly there. Everyone she knew accepted net immersion as a way of daily life, but Dana preferred the prosaic reality of the world outside the computer. She took a deep breath and punched in the address for Mulder's space and the net connect button. A bright flash of light made her jerk, as it always did when she went into immersion. One time, she'd asked Evan, her neighbor across the hall, why connecting to the net produced the flash. He was a systems analyst for Central Net System, the public net utility for the city. Evan had laughed. It's all psychological. The flash doesn't need to be there, but it makes people feel like they're really going somewhere. He'd offered to go into the works of her computer and take out the flash, but absent-minded as Evan was, he'd never gotten around to it. Her virtual self emerged in a long metallic hallway with an endless series of doors, all marked with their netspace numbers. She was right outside AE 3456-AT. The door's scanning software registered her presence and smoothly swished open to reveal a black void. Feeling like Alice in Wonderland, a book she'd bought for when Julia got older, Dana stepped into the darkness and onto the seaside. Curiouser and curiouser, she thought. She was standing on a windswept beach, the ocean white-capped and crashing on the sand. It was so real it took Dana's breath away. She swore she could smell the salt in the air, and she heard the cries of seagulls overhead. The sky was a leaden gray. The wind whipped her hair into her face as she scanned the landscape for any sign of Mulder. Too much wind for you, he said. She turned around, and he was standing next to her, looking exactly as he did in real life. People could, with the right software at home, present themselves in immersion any way they wanted, and she was relieved that he hadn't chosen to come as a giant warthog or a tall, gray-faced other. Fantasy was all very well and good, but enough was enough. Dana shook her head in disbelief. I've never seen such an elaborate netscape. Did you design this yourself? Are you kidding? He started to laugh. I'm pretty much an idiot when it comes to this stuff. I paid a designer a whole lot of money for this space. It's beautiful. I've never seen an ocean like this. They began to walk on the sand toward the water. Have you been to the ocean then? He asked. Yes, on my honeymoon. We went to New Zealand, to Miracle Beach. This is the Atlantic. Before Sarah and I got married, I went with her to a conference in Maine. There's a resort up there for high-level officials only. The atmosphere there is safe to be outside. While Sarah was hobnobbing with academics, I spent nearly all my time on the beach. I'd never felt so at home in my life. They reached the water's edge, just far enough away to avoid getting wet from the surf. But every few waves, she caught a little of the cold spray on her face. Do you come here a lot? She asked. He looked up at the dark sky. Only when I need to think. It seems like all my good thinking gets done on this beach. I can see why it's peaceful here. This is where I do my remembering. She looked at his eyes, which today were as gray as the clouds overhead. Remembering before? Mulder shrugged self-consciously. Yeah, there's nothing here to distract me from thinking. Dana picked up a handful of brown sand and let the grain slide through her fingers. Amazing. She could actually feel each individual grain. She had a question for Mulder, but didn't know if she dared ask it. If her own husband wouldn't tell her, why would Mulder? But she asked anyhow. Mulder, she said in a barely audible voice. What do you remember? Instead of seeming offended, he turned to her and smiled. Do you really want to know? She nodded. Not a lot, he admitted. Just some general impressions. I know I had a younger sister and she had dark hair, darker than mine. I have memories of riding my bike as a kid and playing baseball, 
And I can remember standing on a beach that was a lot like this one. Anything from your adult life? Most of my memories are of childhood. I know I was trained as a psychologist, but I don't think I worked with kids like I do now. Recently, I remembered that I was in law enforcement of some kind. Law enforcement? You mean something like a guardian? Something like that. There was an agency before, called the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Have you heard of it? Sure. I've read about it, and I saw a movie that survived the war that had some FBI agents in it. It may sound odd, but I think I was one of those agents. I have this small fragment of memory where I'm looking at my badge. Her eyebrows rose. Have you tried to see if any records still exist? Yeah, I have. The expression on Mulder's face spoke of his disappointment. The records on the net aren't accessible. They're locked up tight, and like I said, I'm no computer genius. She had a flash of inspiration. Mulder, I have a neighbor, a friend of mine. He knows everything about computers. I could ask him to look for you. You'd do that for me? His eyes widened, and for a moment, Dana could see what Mulder had looked like as a boy. I'd do that. For a moment, he took her hand and squeezed it. Before she could even register the sensation, he dropped her hand. It would mean a lot to me, Dana. She smiled. You and I are a lot alike. We want to know more than anything. For a long moment, Mulder was silent, staring at the surf. Finally, he said, Sometimes I think we're the only two people in the world who do. It doesn't feel so lonely anymore, she whispered. Dana turned to him, the breeze now blowing her hair off her face. Why did you ask me to come here tonight? He grinned self-consciously. Because you're the only one who understands what this place means to me. Mulder put his arm around her, and they stood together on the sand, companionably watching the ocean. The party was already in full swing when she pushed open the door to Mulder and Sarah's apartment. People she didn't know, dressed to the nines, stood in little groups, talking and drinking wine. The air smelled like women's perfume, and in the background she could hear jazz piano playing on the sound system. Dana stood in the doorway, not sure what to do. Usually, when she had to deal with a whole room full of strangers, she had John to navigate her way through the crowd and help her strike up conversations. Now she was on her own. This is silly, she told herself. You're intelligent and independent, and you don't need your husband to get you through this evening. Sarah spotted her from her perch on the couch and came over. Elegant tonight, in a chocolate brown dress that matched her eyes and displayed her full breast to advantage. I'm glad you came, Sarah said, linking arms with Dana. She dropped her voice to a confidential whisper. This party was my idea, not Mulder's. Where is he? Dana asked. I think he's sulking in the kitchen. Mulder doesn't really like parties. She spotted new guests coming through the front door. Well, I have to run and play hostess. In the kitchen, Mulder was opening bottles of wine with an expression of intense concentration on his face. Before she had a chance to greet him, he looked up at her and smiled. At that moment, Dana wished she hadn't chosen to wear a dress that made her feel so bare. The invitation had specified dressing up, though, and this was the only decent evening dress she owned. The dress was sleeveless and made from a thin, silky, shimmering material of the darkest red just before maroon. It was modestly high at the neck, and the hemline was at her knees. But in the back, it was cut down nearly to the tattoo on her lower back. Now she felt strangely naked before the up-and-down sweep of Mulder's eyes. What the hell is going on here, she thought. She felt a little awkward after the sweet little moment they'd shared the other night in Mulder's net space. Granted, if you did it in cyberspace, it didn't really count. But she felt so content and at peace as they watched the waves with his arm around her. Dana handed him a paper-wrapped package, and he pulled out a bottle of Australian Cabernet. Australia had suffered relatively little damage during the invasion, and its vineyards were again exporting wine. So much wine, he said, shaking his head. 
I can already feel the hangover I'm going to have tomorrow. He gave her a glass of red wine he'd poured and set on a tray. She sipped the wine. Sarah says you don't like parties. Mulder shrugged. Too many people all at once. It's sensory overload. I tend to get as cranky as Adam if he's up past his bedtime. Speaking of which, where is he? There was no way a child could sleep through a party in such a small apartment. There's a nice elderly lady who lives three floors upstairs, named Rosa. She adores Adam and was glad to take him off our hands for the night. How about Julia? My lab partner's place. She and her husband don't have any children yet, so they like to practice on Julia. He grinned at that, and she thought about how dangerous his smiles were. Mulder was dressed in all black tonight. A black shirt unbuttoned just enough to reveal a few curling dark hairs and black pants. It almost hurt to look at him. Get a grip, she told herself. I'm glad you could make it, Dana. Most of the guests are Sarah's colleagues from the university. I hardly know a soul. I'm glad, too. It felt free to be without John or Julia. A bit scary, yes. But she could dimly recall a time when she'd been entirely on her own. They wandered out into the thick of the crowd and were soon separated. She steeled herself and made introductions with an affable-looking group of professors. Soon they were all discussing the upcoming elections. November would be the first all-world presidential elections, now that interim President Labacheva's term was ending. They argued over the major candidates. She was in favor of Hiroko Yamaguchi, but most of the others were rooting for Stephen Cousins. Dana found herself, surprisingly, having fun as they debated the candidates like pundits on a political teleprogram. Conversation in her social circle seemed to be entirely taken up with science or parenthood. It was refreshing to discuss agricultural reform and one-language legislation with intelligent people. The party wore on, and Dana was surprised to see, glancing at her watch, that it was midnight. The crowd had thinned out a bit, and she noticed that Sarah was slumped over on the couch, asleep from the effects of too much wine. Mulder was nowhere in sight. The room was almost stifling with lingering body heat, and even though her dress was on the skimpy side, Dana was hot. She needed some air. With her third glass of wine in hand, she stepped out the front door. God, I'm tipsy, she thought in the elevator, checking out her flushed face in the mirror. Outside, the street was quiet and deserted. The only noise a cleaning servo moving down the pavement and spraying water as it went. Between Mulder's apartment and the next, there was a small green space, not big enough to count as a park. There was merely a patch of green grass, a set of swings, and a bench. Dana sat on the bench and looked up at the stars twinkling behind the dome. There was a song she remembered that she sometimes sang to Julia now. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. She thought about the others and how they'd driven off the enemies. Who else is out there? She wondered, picking out constellations. We're definitely not alone. Have you ever made a wish on a star? She jumped a bit at the unexpected voice breaking her reverie, but it was only Mulder. He laid a hand on her shoulder. Sorry, didn't mean to startle you. Escaping your own party? Dana raised an eyebrow. You're a bad host. I am. He sat down next to her and looked up at the sky. Well, it was nice of you to throw me a birthday party. Mulder turned to look at her. It's your birthday. I didn't know. She grinned. Well, I didn't tell you, so don't feel bad. Besides, my birthday is tomorrow. Dana looked at her watch. Actually, it's today now. If you'd told me we could have gotten you a cake and a present. Don't be ridiculous. I don't need any of that. I'm planning on celebrating tomorrow night at a friend's place. She's making dinner for me. How old are you? She shot him a look of annoyance. Don't you know that after a woman reaches a certain age, it's not polite to ask that question? Mulder snorted. Please, Dana. You make it sound like you're 80 years old. You don't look a day over 79. Dana made to swat at his cheek, but he intercepted her hand and grasped it in his. Oh, she couldn't breathe. 
Come on, spill, he said, grinning. Tugging her hand away, she said, I'm 41. He rolled his eyes. Is that all? I'm ancient compared to you. I'm 45. She leaned back and crossed her legs. We're getting old, Mulder. Sometimes she wondered what she'd looked like when she was young, before she'd had fine lines around her eyes, before the gray hairs had begun to creep into the red. With a cool hand, Mulder touched her cheek. You're a beautiful woman, Dana, for any age. She could have laughed his words off if he hadn't said them in such a low, serious voice. Dana stared at him, as if in disbelief, and then looked down at her shaking hand, which was clutching her wine glass as if it were a life preserver. His fingers lifted her chin, so she was forced to look up at him again. Don't you believe me? He whispered. Oh, she could see the arousal in his eyes. Practically felt it coming off his body in waves. Her skin prickled into a thousand goosebumps in response. I have to get out of here, she thought, but she couldn't move. She felt hypnotized by the hungry expression on Mulder's face. He blinked and slightly moved towards her. He's going to kiss me, she frantically thought. I can't let this happen, I can't. But another part of her wanted him to. Dana pulled away from Mulder and felt a self-conscious smile grow on her face. Say something and diffuse this moment. Clearing her throat, she said, What's going on here, Mulder? He made a sound deep in his throat. I don't know. Neither do I, she said, looking at the empty swing set instead of at Mulder. But something is going on between us. I can't stop thinking about you, Mulder sighed. Not since we first met. I don't know how to explain it, but I can't stop. Her mouth was dry, and she took another sip of wine, her brain buzzing with too many thoughts for her to be able to adequately articulate any of them. She felt his hand move on her bare arm. Is it the same for you? He asked in a voice so hesitant, it wrenched her heart. I don't want to have to answer this, she thought, because I'll have to tell the truth. And if I do, I don't know what will happen. The pressure on her arm fractionally increased. Is it? He repeated. Still looking away from Mulder, she nodded. I know it's wrong, Mulder said. Believe me, I know. Finally, she got the courage to turn her head and look at him. She'd known Mulder for such a short time, but already his face was so beloved to her. But still, they couldn't do this. Not now, not ever. It's wrong, she said softly. Yes, he agreed. I want to so badly kiss him, she thought. Just once, so I'll have a taste of what it's like to love him. Dana felt tears begin to well in her eyes and she blinked them away. She never cried in front of anyone else, not even John. It made her seem weak. I have a husband and I love him, she said. You have a wife and you love her. We... we can't. You're right. But even as they were saying the right and proper things, his fingers had laced themselves with hers, and their faces had come so close together their noses were almost touching. She could smell the wine on his breath. The air seemed to thicken to Dana, to be almost crackling with the tension. Mulder's free hand rose to the back of her neck, and she felt the tiny hairs there stand up on end. We can't do this, he whispered. But he pressed his lips to hers. She forgot to think as he kissed her, logic and responsibility temporarily bound and gagged. Her hands rose to his face to pull him closer to her, to pull him deeper into her mouth. Their tongues touched for the first time, and she nearly jerked at the contact at the raw wave of arousal that flooded through her body. It was alien to kiss someone who wasn't John, to feel a strange tongue twining with hers, to taste his wine-soaked lips and mouth. But it also felt oddly familiar to kiss Mulder. There was no awkwardness of noses and lips, no fumbling. 
Just one perfect, explosive kiss, bittersweet with longing and need. They pulled apart after what felt like hours of kissing, breathing hard and staring at each other in stunned silence. Finally, Mulder spoke. I'm sorry, Dana. We shouldn't have done that. She nodded, her lips still throbbing from his kiss. Maybe we shouldn't be around each other anymore. His face looked so stricken at her words that she felt the tears begin to well again. She wiped her face with a trembling hand and rose from the park bench. It's late. I need to pick up Julia. Mulder reached for her hand and squeezed it. I know what we did was wrong, but I'm having a difficult time regretting it. Somehow, she felt herself smiling. Me too. That's the problem, Mulder. She turned to walk back out onto the street. Hey, Dana? She spun around on her heel. Mulder ran his hand through his hair, making the short strands into a multitude of spikes. Did you mean what you said about not seeing each other? She raised her hands in a questioning gesture. I don't know, Mulder. I need to think. The trouble was that she could probably spend the rest of her life thinking about it and not come up with the correct answer. I think we both need some time, he said. She nodded. One more thing, he said, rising from the bench. What's that? You're insanely beautiful after you've been kissed. Dana couldn't help but smile at that, but she turned around and walked away all the same. Alone in her bedroom an hour later, Dana tried to think of anything but the kiss she'd shared with Mulder. She mentally walked herself through each step of preparing tissue samples for an MCR DNA test. Next, she balanced the family budget for March, paying the bills and setting aside the remaining money in the family account. She even made a checklist of cleaning products she needed to buy for the apartment. But underneath her thoughts running like a refrain of an annoying pop song she couldn't get out of her head, was the shocking awareness that she'd kissed Fox Mulder. She'd kissed a man who wasn't her husband. When she'd spoken her vows that December morning in the Hall of Magistrates, she'd taken them seriously, but entirely in stride. Of course she would love, honor, and cherish John Rosen forever. And of course she'd never even consider another man. There was no one but John, she hadn't been able to even grasp the concept of anyone but John. Now, years later, there was another man in the picture, whether it was right or wrong. Mulder had entered her life in a series of chance encounters, and somehow, over the past few weeks, he'd become important to her. And now she had some decisions to make. The problem was that she didn't know what the hell to do. She touched her lips and they still felt swollen from his kiss. Never had she experienced a kiss that felt like the one they'd shared. Granted, she'd only kissed two men in her memory. Three if you counted the phantom lover from her dreams. It had been an explosion of unchecked emotion, that kiss on the bench, an utterly intoxicating blend of attraction, fear, lust, shame, and tenderness. It had been a singular kiss. Dana regretted taking Julia to the park that evening. If she hadn't gone, she never would have met Mulder, and nothing would have happened. Her life would have continued on its quiet, steady path. She would have done her research, raised her daughter, and loved her husband. The dreams and memory fragments would still have haunted her, but she would have coped. She was a survivor. Besides... She'd been coping ever since she was brought back to life in the clinic as a shell of a woman. If she hadn't met Mulder, she never would have begun to imagine a life in which she could explore her past and try to reclaim the person she'd once been. Mulder gave her permission not to be ashamed to want those things. She rolled onto her side and adjusted the pillow under her head, finally admitting to herself that she wanted Mulder. Not just the singular friendship they'd developed, but the man himself. She'd never desired like this before. When she'd first met John, she'd been attracted to him, of course, but it had been more of an understanding that he was a man who would always remain by her side, 
a man with whom she could rebuild her life. With Mulder, now that she'd had a first taste of what it was like to know him physically, she craved more. Dana wanted to unbutton that black shirt he'd been wearing and touch the skin of his chest and run her fingers through the hair there. She wanted to know what his body looked like without clothes. He was about the same height as her husband, but had longer legs and arms. She imagined counting his ribs with her fingers and running them down to his navel as he groaned at how close she was getting to the part of him that most wanted to be touched. A small groan escaped her lips as she let her hand slip between her legs. She didn't often touch herself for pleasure. She was rarely alone, and it seemed empty not to be able to share it with John. But now she stroked herself with insistent fingers, for the first time imagining herself making love with someone other than John. She pictured herself taking off Mulder's pants and having him stand in front of her, erect and gazing at her with that look of intense arousal he'd worn on his face earlier in the night. And the reality blurred with her fantasy, and she was there with Mulder. Dana touched his thick, dark pubic hair and moved her hand to cup and stroke his balls, feeling his shiver of response. She kneeled and let her tongue drag along the length of his hard cock as his hands gripped her shoulders in unspoken encouragement. With her mouth and tongue, Dana loved him, demonstrating the emotion she was finally allowing its freedom. He made soft sounds of approval as he slid in and out of her mouth. As Mulder came with a low cry, she came too, arching her back and smothering her groans in the pillow. The clock by the bed turned to three in the morning as she fell asleep, burning with shame, burning with ecstasy, burning. She dreamed of fire that night, of squatting by a small campfire, shivering and coughing so hard she was afraid she would break a rib. This is where it ends, she thought in her dream. This is where we end. I never imagined it would be like this. A few interesting things happened on Sunday morning. First, she was awakened at seven by the door chime. A delivery bot was outside the door with a bouquet of hothouse flowers for her. Daisies, irises, and lilies. Dana brought them into the living room and found the card tucked behind a spray of baby's breath. To the woman who has taught me everything about love, happy birthday, John. The rush of guilt she felt as she read the card was almost crippling. Dana had to sit down on the couch and take deep breaths. What a terrible wife I am, she thought. She got Julia out of bed. After dressing the squirming toddler, Dana set her on the kitchen floor to play with her plastic animal set. Julia made cow and chicken noises as Dana mixed together the ingredients for pancakes. Just as she was spooning the batter in the pan to fry, the door chimed again, as if on cue. This time it was Evan. He was young, only 24, and lived in the studio apartment across the hall. A small space she knew was covered in posters for obscure Afrobeat groups and littered with takeout sushi containers. Evan often came around sniffing on weekend mornings for breakfast, and Dana had a soft spot for the young man with perpetually wrinkled clothes and long black and blue braids. Are those pancakes I smell? He said, smiling bashfully. She let him in with an indulgent pat on the head. He produced a small brown package from the folds of his stained jacket. I brought you a pound of bacon for your birthday. Dana smiled in delight. Bacon, imported all the way from South America, was an expensive treat she could rarely justify buying. The soy bacon was an acceptable substitute, but nothing tasted like the real thing. She put the bacon in the frying pan and started a pot of coffee as he dandled Julia on his knees, making up nonsense rhymes about robots. Despite Evan's strange hair and coal-rimmed eyes, Dana thought he had the makings of an excellent father. As the room filled with the scent of the bacon, Dana had the vague sensation of familiarity she always got when she smelled that particular odor. It made her feel warm and secure, and she surmised that bacon must have been a favorite breakfast treat of hers as a girl. Evan was on his ninth pancake when she got the nerve to ask him what had been on her mind since she'd opened the door. She finished chewing her bacon and said, 
would you be willing to do a favor for me? He spread more imitation maple syrup on a fresh stack of cakes. What kind of favor, Dana? A computer kind of favor. That's the kind of favor I do best. Evan practically lived in the net. She knew that some days he was in immersion for more than 18 hours, unplugging only to eat and go to the bathroom. His systems administration job was entirely done from his home, and Dana sometimes wondered if he ever left the building, except his occasional visits to strange underground dance clubs. It's kind of personal, she said, carefully choosing her words. You have to keep it to yourself. I am the soul of discretion, Evans said in a mock serious whisper. I have this friend, and he's trying to find his past. You mean like before? Evan interrupted, raising his dark brows. Yes. He seems to think he had been an agent with something called the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Oh, yeah, the feds. Wow. He's tried to access the surviving records, but he can't get in. Think you could do it? Evan puffed out his chest with pride. I can access anything. You want me to take a little look? Could you... I wouldn't want you to get in any trouble. He snorted. Give me a break. This will be pathetically easy, Dana. Besides, information is power. What's this guy's name? I'll go in and search for it in the records. Fox Mulder, she said, and grabbed a notepad off the kitchen counter to write it out for him. Consider it done, Evan said, stuffing the paper in his pocket. I need a few days, though. I'm working on this huge interface upgrade. Thanks so much. Evan licked syrup off his fork. It's the least I can do with you feeding me all the time. Dana sat back and felt content in the knowledge that she was helping Mulder to reclaim what had been lost. In the afternoon, Julia took a nap, and Dana took the opportunity to check her mail serve. There was only one message, and it was from Mulder. She took a deep breath and opened the folder. I wish I could blame our kiss last night on too much wine, but I can't. Have a happy birthday, Dana. M. Tell me about it, Dana. With a small sigh, Dana took a fortifying sip of her tea and shut her eyes. I'm in a safe place, she told herself. I can say anything here and she won't judge me. Things always seemed much clearer in the confines of Dr. Hanley's office. The pale gold walls and hanging ferns were soothing to her morning bleary eyes and today the doctor was playing a soft Vivaldi on her sound system. For one hour every few weeks or so, Dana could sit in a chair and talk, with no distractions. The phone wouldn't ring, and Julia wouldn't cry for her. The therapist's voice was soft. Is this difficult for you? She nodded. I feel guilty even thinking about it. I've been trying to put it out of my mind like it never happened, but it keeps creeping into the most innocuous of my thoughts. Denial is never the way to deal with your problems. If you bury something, it's still there, and eventually it'll... It's still there, and eventually it'll emerge. In other words, Mulder wasn't going to go away. Neither was John. Fine, she'd talk. She had nothing to lose. Dana's hands fumbled as she struggled for her words. I've never met anyone like Mulder before. I can't explain it, but when I'm around him, I somehow feel complete, like I've been waiting for him for these past five years, but I never knew it. Dr. Hanley looked up at Dana from her notebook. Tell me this. Do you feel that any of this has to do with the fact that John has been gone for almost two weeks? I wish it were that simple, that I was resentful or angry at John or feeling rebellious because he's been gone. This doesn't have anything to do with him, though. It hasn't changed the way I feel about John. How does Mulder make you feel, compared to your husband? She thought of the evening they'd spent in the park, dangling their feet in the fountain. If she were to never see Mulder again, she'd still remember the intense expression in his eyes. I can't compare them, Dana said. They're completely different people. Do you love Mulder? Struggling, she said. I don't know. I'm not sure I know what love is after all. I thought I loved John more than anything in the world, and look what's happened. 
perhaps I'm not capable of love. Do you really believe that? Dana let out her breath. Right now, I'm questioning everything in my life. I thought I had everything I wanted, but my feelings for Mulder have made me realize the things I'd never dared wish for. Such as being able to talk about your dreams and possible emerging memories? Yes. I don't feel like a whole person without my past. What are we but the sum of our life experiences, our memories? The doctor smiled. An interesting point. Usually, when she sat in Dr. Hanley's office, Dana could unravel her problems, like someone steadily picking at a difficult knotted rope. This time, however, the more she worked on the rope, the tighter the knot became. Dana looked at her therapist. Bottom line is, I don't know what I should do. What do you think? Dana? The doctor raised a warning finger. You know better than that. My role is not to tell you what to do, but to help you sort out your issues yourself. She grimaced. So I pay you to solve my problems myself, huh? I should really go into psychology. To her credit, Dr. Hanley laughed heartily. Dana left the doctor's office feeling vaguely unsatisfied. While it felt good to simply talk freely in a way she couldn't even do with Megan, she hadn't come to any stunning conclusions in the black chair. Nothing had changed. With a short sigh, she straightened her spine and lifted her chin. It wasn't time to think about her problems anymore. She had lab reports to write, phone calls to return, a department meeting to attend. The rest of the workday didn't belong to her. Dana crossed the square to her building and determined not to think for the rest of the day. Despite what Dr. Hanley had said in the session that morning, Dana came home from the lab determined to practice denial. Mulder had never kissed her, and she most certainly had never returned that kiss. Nothing had happened. Nothing at all. Julia was in rare form that night. First, there was a temper tantrum about changing out of her school clothes, and then one over having to eat her green beans. She kicked and screamed when Dana tried to put her into the bathtub. John was better at calming Julia when she was in one of these moods, and Dana felt helpless in the force of her daughter's overwhelming will. She called John at the hotel. Thankfully, he was back from dinner and spent 20 minutes reading Jerry the Blue Spaceship to Julia, who sat in front of the telescreen and, with round eyes, touched the image of her father. He didn't need the book to tell the story. Both he and Dana had memorized the words through repetition. Calm and happy now, Julia slid into Dana's lap. Dana smiled at John on the screen, but her heart was beating rapidly. Was there any way John could sense her guilt? Just one more week, he said, still making silly faces at Julia, who squirmed and cackled with glee. I can't wait to come home. I'm sick of hotel food and how hot it is down here. You're too used to dome conditioning. Yep, I'm a wimp. I'm man enough to admit it. I just want to come home, cook a big pot of spaghetti, and sit down with you and Julia for dinner. I can't wait either, she said. Yes. When John returned, everything would be back to normal. She let Julia sleep with her that night. As her daughter slept, Dana stroked her silky hair and thought, This is where I belong. With my family. She fell asleep listening to the steady rhythm of Julia's breathing. A hot, hot night in West Virginia, and they're stuck in a town so remote, the single motel doesn't even have air conditioning. Just a rusty fan that only pushes the humid air around the small room. After they've made love, he falls asleep on the sweat-soaked sheets, and she goes off to the dingy bathroom to take her third shower of the day. She turns on the water so cold, her skin prickles in response, and her teeth chatter. She doesn't even towel off, but climbs into bed dripping wet. There's momentary relief as the noisy fan blows on her chilly body. It's been a long, exhausting day, and she craves sleep. She's just sinking down into the first stage when she feels it. Oh God, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. She sits bolt upright in the sagging bed, stifling the urge to scream. It's a million times stronger than the night she was called to the bridge. She can feel it centered in the nape of her neck and radiating out to her limbs. 
They are coming. It's too late. Everything they've done to fight this, it has come to nothing. They're almost here. She can feel their collective presence, getting nearer by the second. She never wanted to believe in this day. She demanded proof, something tangible she could see with her own eyes, something to believe in. Anecdotes and shadowy informants weren't enough. Even the hazy recollection of something in the Antarctic sky wasn't enough. Not even her trust and faith in the man sleeping beside her. It was too huge and terrible for her to imagine. They're coming, she gasps through trembling lips. He rolls over with a groan and switches on the bedside lamp. What's wrong, Scully? This time she screams the words. Dana momentarily woke and blinked in the dark. Just a dream, she thought, touching Julia's neck. It was only a dream. In the morning, Dana braided Julia's hair while Newsmorning recited the news in the background. Don't squirm, she said to Julia, who for once went obediently still while Dana tied blue ribbons on the ends of her braids. White and red spots suddenly began to dance in front of Dana's eyes. She knew what the spots meant. Damn, a migraine was coming. She hadn't had one in months. There was no stopping it now that it was on its way. Her Migranex inhaler would work on the pain, but she'd be useless for hours under its drugging influence. The waves of nausea were already rising in her belly, and she began to regret the oatmeal she'd eaten for breakfast. Dana rushed to the bathroom and retched up breakfast and a good portion of dinner from the night before. She looked up from the toilet bowl and saw Julia staring at her curiously. Mommy threw up, she declared. She nodded weakly, the throbbing setting up camp in her temples. After brushing her teeth, she sucked on the plastic Migranex tube, wincing at the metallic taste of the vapor. She changed back into her pajamas and stumbled to the couch to call Megan, praying her partner was still home. Megan answered in her pink bathrobe, her short, dark hair still wet from the shower. Dana, are you all right? You look like hell. Dana touched her forehead, her eyes squinting at the light from the telescreen. A migraine, she said. I don't think I can come into the lab today. Oh, no, Megan said, concern on her round and pretty face. But don't worry. We were just going to work on our proposal for next year, remember? She nodded, the pain intensifying, white-hot flashes that beat in time with her heart. Sweetie, I'm coming right over. I just need to get dressed. I'll take Julia to primary care today. After disconnecting, Dana curled up on the couch, hoping the drug would kick in soon. Julia patted Dana's arm. Mommy, are you sick? I'm sick, she said, and groped for the remote, switching it to a children's cartoon program. The sound of gamboling animals even with the volume turned down low, made her wince. But the cartoons kept Julia quiet and out of mischief. Twenty minutes later, Megan came bustling in. She had a spare access card to Dana and John's place in case of emergency. Dana was grateful for this, since the thought of moving was unbearable. Maggie! Julia shouted, and Dana groaned at the outburst. Hey, kiddo, Megan said in a soft voice. You have to be very, very quiet right now. Megan walked over to the couch. Don't worry about a thing, she said to Dana. Just rest. I can take Julia home with me tonight. Tom and I would love to have her. Dana nodded. Thanks, she managed to say. Julia, do you want to sleep over at Megan's house tonight? Julia, who had spent quite a few nights at Megan's to give her parents some time alone began to jump up and down at the idea. Megan found the afghan and spread it over Dana's body. With the brisk efficiency that made her an outstanding scientist, she got together a bag of clothing and toiletries for Julia. Come on, Jules, she said. Let's get you to school. She squeezed Dana's clammy hand. Call me if you need anything. Eyes closing, Dana mumbled. I just need to sleep. The pain was receding beginning to be replaced with a heavy weight of drugged fatigue. Julia pressed a slobbery kiss on her mother's cheek, and then they were gone, leaving the apartment in blessed silence. 
she wrapped the blanket around her and let herself sleep. She dreamed of falling leaves, crimson, gold, and orange, of raking and smelling the earthy tang of autumn. When Dana finally woke, she looked at the telescreen clock through bleary eyes. It was 4 p.m. Nearly an entire day had passed while she slept on the couch. She hated wasting an entire day like that, but she also knew it was the only way to let the migraine pass. The pain was gone now. She felt a bit dizzy from the migranex and hunger, but the storm in her head had moved on. She showered and changed into a t-shirt and leggings. In the kitchen, she drank a full bottle of water while warming up a package of chicken noodle soup. Dana had just settled back onto the couch to eat her soup when the telescreen announced a caller. She considered letting the messenger pick up the call, but she worried it could be from primary care or Megan. Mulder's face appeared on her screen. From the background of a shelf full of books, she could tell he was calling from his office at City Edcom. Are you all right? he asked, eyes blinking behind his glasses. I tried you at the lab, but the message said you were out for the day. Dana's hands began to shake in her lap at the sight of Mulder, the sound of his voice. I had a migraine, she said. I slept it off, and I'm fine now. He smiled, his full lower lip expanding to give him a slightly goofy, but decidedly sexy look. She could still remember how it had felt to kiss those lips, to take that plump lower lip in her mouth and suckle on it. I was... I was hoping we could talk tonight, he stammered. I have the same effect on him, she thought. Dana sighed. I don't know if that's a good idea, Mulder. Please, Dana, we need to talk about this. There goes the whole denial plan, she thought. Mulder doesn't seem to do denial. You're right, she said, conceding defeat. Can you come over at six? A minute later, she clicked off the telescreen and let out all her breath. This is a good thing, she told herself. We'll talk and straighten everything out and put that kiss behind us. We're intelligent, rational adults. We both know what the right thing to do is. Even though Dana's doorbell chimed precisely at six, she still jumped at the sound. She took a deep breath and crossed the living room in four long strides. The apartment seemed pretty empty to her, and she wished she had the protection of Julia's presence. It would be just the two of them alone. The only other time she and Mulder had truly been alone? She didn't even want to consider what had happened that time, not as she wrapped her fingers around the doorknob to open it. Mulder was still dressed in his work clothes, a navy blue suit and red tie, but the tie had been loosened, and his hair was standing on end in the back, as if he'd been running his fingers through it. He had his briefcase in one hand, and a white shopping bag with handles in the other. Hi, he said, a half-smile forming on his lips. She let him in. What do you have in the bag? The smile widened, but it was somehow bashful. How's your head? I feel fine, but you didn't answer my question. He set the bag and briefcase down on the carpet. I needed to know how you were feeling before I answered the question. Are you up for getting out of the house? The Europa Symphony Orchestra is playing a free concert tonight at City Central Park. Jeanette Iyer, the cellist, is the featured soloist. In case you wanted to go, I stopped and bought some food for a picnic. A picnic, music, the park. Wonderful. And they wouldn't be alone in her apartment, either. It sounds perfect, Dana said. If you like this story, please follow the link to the writer's page and leave some love. Kudos, comments, or subscribe. They'll love hearing from you. Then you can head over to our Patreon page and contribute to Audio Fanfic Podcast. As a member, you are granted early access to one new story per month. That's www.patreon.com slash audiofanficpod. Thank you for listening, and remember, the stories are out there.